0: Uh, Please continue those conversations afterwards. But I want to begin today sharing a story. Now, this is a terrifying adventure. It's a story about the remarkable survival of a seaman who lived to tell the story. Now, it was February of 1891. A whaling ship by the name of Star of the East left the port at Liverpool in England and it left towards the South Atlantic, around the Falkland Islands to hunt for whales. Now, this ship was out in the Atlantic and they sighted a sperm whale and so they sent two boats out to kill that sperm whale. That's what they used to do in the 1900s, uh, 1800s. And so they sent these two boats to hunt and kill that sperm whale. The first boat shot the harpoon, got the whale and the whale was dragging the boat along for about five miles. and And then the second boat... Well, suddenly they got their harpoon ready and they also shot that whale. And they got that whale. Now, two harpoons onto the whale. The whale was pulling them along. And then suddenly there was some slack in the rope. What that meant was the whale has gone down below. And so they were there waiting, the two boats, waiting for this whale. Where is this whale? And suddenly this whale, this sperm whale, torpedoed onto the surface. It capsized one of the boats and all the crew members were overboard. Now, all those crew members were eventually rescued except two. Two of the men were, were missing. They were presumed dead. I mean, there was no hope for them. The, the water was freezing cold, and so they were presumed dead. Now, after a few hours, that whale that they harpooned was finally dead. So it was at the surface, and they dragged it to the side of the ship. And throughout the night, the crew on the ship were cutting away at the whale, cutting up into pieces with their axes and spades, And then when they finally came to the stomach, they hoisted the stomach onto the ship and they noticed something's faintly moving in the stomach. And so they dropped the stomach onto the the deck, they quickly opened up the stomach and there they found one of the missing sailors, a 35-year-old man by the name of James Bartley. He was unconscious but he was alive. Now this man was in the whale for about 15 hours and you can tell when he came out he, he didn't look the same. He, he was bleach white, he was wrinkled, his skin was wrinkled, he lost his hair, uh, per- perhaps a bit like, imagine, maybe Sam Moody without any hair. Uh, a bit hideous, or Gollum, Lord of the Rings. So this guy was looking not normal, not right. He was revived and for about two weeks he was a bit delirious. So James Bartley, afterwards, after he came to his senses, he was able to record the whole ordeal. He remembered being hurled into the sky and falling into the piercing cold water of the Atlantic Ocean. And he remembered hearing this horrible rushing sound. He thought it was just the, the tail of the whale splashing over the waters. But then he found himself surrounded by this terrible darkness. He was slipping through this smooth passage and suddenly he found himself open up into a bigger area, bigger space and he finally realised that he he was swallowed by the whale he was hunting. He tried to be brave, you know, he's trying to be a man but he passed out and he didn't remember anything after that. Now after this terrifying adventure he never made another trip to sea and you can imagine why. He settled down to a job on the land. He became a cobbler in Gloucester in England. He lived for another 18 years. He died in 1909. And his tombstone in Ireland read these words. James Bartley, a modern day Jonah. Now scientists have often wondered, how can anyone survive in the stomach in the belly of a whale? But they come to understand and recognise that perhaps there is a possibility that that can happen. You see, sperm whales are big. They, they grow up to 20 metres long. Now, just to give, uh, put that into perspective, that's a sperm whale and that's a man. Sperm whales are huge and that's not the biggest one. They grow up to 20 metres, 50 tonnes. Here's another picture. Do you see the man, how small he is? Right up there. So scientists reckon it's entirely possible for a sperm whale to swallow a man, a man whole. In fact, in 1955, they found a giant squid weighing almost 200 kilograms removed intact from the stomach of a sperm whale. I mean, if a sperm whale can fit a a giant squid almost 200 kilograms, then a, a man will be pretty easy. And so scientists think, well, this may be a possibility. And also they reckon the body has, in fact, this remarkable ability to conserve and concentrate oxygen in the areas that need it and that human beings are able to live on less oxygen in cold water. And the the thing with whales is that they always surface for air and so there's more oxygen there. And so scientists reckon, well, maybe there is this possibility that a man can survive inside the belly of a whale. And so the story of James Farley appears to confirm that. Confirm that possibility. It's a great story, isn't it? But there's only one problem with this story. It probably didn't happen. It probably didn't happen. It's because there was a guy and an associate professor by the name of Edward Davis. He's a professor of science and history at Messiah College in Pennsylvania. He, in fact, undertook a study, a research, to work out whether this story was, in fact, true. You see, this story has made its way into many sermons from preachers. It's in fact made its way into Bible commentaries as well. And so he wanted to make sure, is this for real? Did this actually happen? Is James Bartley for real? And so he went to England, he read through the newspaper articles and clippings, went through the archive, done interviews. But then this is what he found. He found that the story was perhaps fabricated. He in fact found that there was a a ship by the name of Star of the East. He verified that. There was such a ship and there was a captain by the name of John Killam. But on the particular voyage during which the alleged whale incident happened, James Bartley was not listed as a crew member. And then when he checked the hospital records in London to to work out whether there was in fact a guy who was swallowed by a whale, a a guy who looked hideous and was burnt up by all the acid, he found nothing but what was most damaging was a letter written by the wife of the captain published in the expository times this was what she said she said there is not one word of truth to the whale story i was with my husband all the years he was in the star of the east there was never a man lost overboard while I, while my husband was with her the sailor has told a great sea yarn a great sea yarn now, I wonder if that story, as wonderful and interesting as it is, was a great sea yarn. I wonder whether Jonah was just also another great sea yarn. You see, in the story of Jonah, we see something similar, don't we? Jonah was thrown overboard by the sailors who was drowning and then a whale comes across and swallows him. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, the Lord provided a great fish. Now, it could be a great fish, a whale. Uh, in Hebrew it doesn't distinguish that, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And so what are we to make of it? Is that just a great sea yarn? Well, it's, what's fascinating is that the idea, the, the talk of the big fish only comes from this one reference and two other verses. There, there are only three references to the fish. And so what, what that uh, tells us is that it's quite fascinating. It's this fish story that makes Jonah famous. But yet the Bible writer, the author, reckons that this is in fact quite insignificant. It's almost downplayed the idea of this great fish, almost incidental. And that's because the fish was not and is not the main character. You see, the the job and the role of the fish was just to be God's instrument in bringing about God's purposes through Jonah. And so we need to ask the question, could God have sent that fish? Is that possible for God? Well, if you know God, the God of the Bible, the God of heaven and earth, who created the whole universe, he didn't have to, have to work hard at all. didn't sweat. He just spoke by his powerful word. He created the whole universe. This is a God who placed all the stars in their place and gives them all names. This is the God who set the storm. This is the God who controls the weather. This is a God who is sovereign even over Jonah who was so disobedient. Now, if this is the God we're talking about, Sending a fish, a big fish, a whale to swallow Jonah. Well that will be a piece of cake for him. A piece of cake. And so the story of James Farley may have been a great sea yarn, but certainly not the story of Jonah, because God is involved there. And so now we come to this famous part of Jonah. And what we'll see that it's not really about this fish at all. What we'll learn about is that it's about this runaway prophet who finally comes to his senses. He's been thrown in, he's drowning and now he's swallowed by this massive fish. Now what do you do when that happens to you? When death is right there in your face? What does anyone do? Well you turn to God, don't you? When you're facing death you turn to God and that's exactly what Jonah did. So have a look, I would like you to look at chapter 2, verses 2 with me. So what did Jonah do? He calls upon God. And this is his prayer, this is his psalm to God. He realises he can't fight God. It was silly to think that he could run away from God. And so now he he recognises he's as good as dead. And so verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, from the death of the grave I called for help. See, it's from the depth of, the, the word is sheol, which is the place of the dead. The underworld. So the, from the place of the dead, he cries out to the God that he knows. And to his great surprise, what happens? What did God do? Well, at this moment, you would expect God to just forsake him. You know, you expect God to say, Well, this is what you get, Jonah, you flee from me, you die. But what did God do? Well, Jonah says here, He answered me, you listened to my cry. And now in the next couple of verses, Jonah describes his ordeal. He he explains what he was going through. So look at verse 3. He says, You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. Now now hang on there. You hurled me? Who was it that hurled Jonah into the sea? Well, if you remember the story from last week, it it was the sailors who hurled him into the sea. It was the sailors who threw him overboard. So what was Jonah saying here? We well, see, Jonah was right in recognising that it was in fact God who has ordained it. It was God who planned it. It was God who was sovereign. It's God who's the first cause over all that happened, even over his disobedience. And so Jonah can say in verse, verse 3, You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and it's all your waves and breakers that swept over me. You see, Jonah was right to think that. That that was ordained by God, that was planned by God. Now, do you guys ever watch those um, BBC documentaries on on nature and wildlife? Do you ever hear those narrators, how they talk in these documentaries? Dave and Edinburgh, they talk about the core of Mother Nature or the core of Mother Earth or Gaia and what Mother Nature decides and is doing. Now I'm a real sucker for good documentaries especially the violent ones where animals kill animals. I just love that. I'm not sure if that's meant to be a good thing but I love it. Seeing lions kill off another lion, seeing killer whales kill off seals. I love that stuff. But then you listen to these documentaries and you hear these narrators talk about Mother Nature, Mother Earth, Gaia, the spirit of the earth, deciding things, deciding to do things. You hear Mother Nature decided that the fittest should survive. Mother Nature decided to send the rain. Mother Nature decided to send the monsoon over the Serengeti plains to bring life. You listen to that and if you are believing in God, you must think this is utter nonsense, complete nonsense. You see, Mother Nature doesn't decide anything. It's God who decides. It's God who controls the weather. So, the hot weather we've experienced that's God. I mean, in a sense, God's giving us a free sauna. People pay to go to a sauna. God gave us the experience for free. And now God in his kindness sent us the cool air. You see, there's no, no, no uh, uh, thing as, no such thing as Mother Nature, Mother Earth at all. It's God who controls ev- everything. And Jonah, he recognised that. It was God who sent the storm. It was God who calmed the storm as soon as he was thrown overboard. And it was God who sent this whale. And so Jonah came to realise his foolishness, his silliness. He recognised that he's a sinner. And so he recognised that he's got no chance of survival at all. He's got no chance of fleeing from God. And so he expresses now his hopelessness. He expresses now his helplessness. Look at verses 4 to 6. He says, I have been banished from your sight. You see, Jonah recognised that death is not the end. Far worse than dying is to be banished from God's presence, to be away from God, and he recognised that. But yet he says here, this is perhaps the first hint of his repentance, that there is hope. He says, I will look again toward your holy temple. That is he's looking towards God, perhaps towards Jerusalem, perhaps towards heaven, where God is. And then he says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountain, that is to the seabed, to the bottom of the sea. And he says, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. He's sort of trapped by death. And so Jonah was down in the pits. Now, do you remember last week the progress that Jonah made? He went down to Joppa, to the port, then he went down onto the ship and then he went down again to the lowest part of the ship Well, today he says here that he's gone down again to the underworld to the place of the dead and he's trapped and so Jonah recognises he is as good as dead but yet there's hope, look at verse 6 you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God see, so he was in the presence of death and God pulls him out. God snatches him from the mouth of death. You say, what do you do when death is in your face? Well, you turn to God and that's what Jonah did. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So he finally started to do what the captain was shouting at him to do. The captain, remember, was saying, get up, how can you sleep? Pray to your God. Well, now Jonah finally does that. He recognised that God was his only hope. There was no hope anywhere else. No hope in trusting the idols of those other sailors. No hope anywhere, no life anywhere else apart from God. And so in verse 8, look at what Jonah says. He says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols. The word worthless is the word we find in Ecclesiastes. It's the word that means vapour or breath or mist. You try to grab your breath or the mist in the morning, you get nothing. And so Jonah's saying it's it's worthless, it's silly, it's stupid to cling onto worthless idols. You see, if Jonah clung onto his idol, and what was his idol? Well, his idol was his own self-righteousness. Remember, he, he was thinking, I know better than God. God, you're silly for trying to uh, extend mercy to these people. He, He was thinking, I know better than God. You should let them die, God. And so that was his idol. Now, if Jonah did that as he was drowning, as he was being swallowed, well, he would have been a dead man. But instead, he did not want to forfeit the grace that could be his. He knew he deserved death. But now he turns back to God. So verse 9, have a look, with great joy he says, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. So Jonah almost does a turnaround. He was totally hopeless, totally helpless. He deserved death, but yet God saved him. And in the climax of this psalm, look at what Jonah proclaims salvation comes from the Lord. You can't find salvation anywhere else. No one else, nowhere else will you be able to find salvation. Salvation comes from the Lord alone. And now finally, in our final verse, well, we see here that God was not yet done with Jonah. And so look at verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah there in that story, in that passage, escaped the jaws of death and he's given another chance by God. And so there ends this story, this famous story about Jonah and the fish and there ends any other reference to the fish. So when we read a a fascinating story like that, what are we to make of it? People now after Jonah, after Jesus, what are we to make of it? Was this just another development in the fascinating adventure of Jonah. Well, of course you would know by now that stories in the Bible are never incidental. Stories in the Bible are never random events. You see, Bibles in the story are always theological. That is, they always teach us something about God. They always teach us something about God. And in the story of Jonah, we learn that salvation comes from the Lord alone. Salvation comes from the Lord alone. It was true for Jonah it hasn't changed and it will never change. Salvation only comes from God. It's only God who can save anyone. You see, if God chose to not save Jonah as he was drowning, if God chose not to send the whale, then Jonah would have been a dead man at the bottom of the sea. But you see, God showed mercy to the undeserving and that's how salvation works. It's the undeserved who get it and that's how God works. But there's something else that we can learn from this story that is fascinating. That is, you see, Jonah was just not just a prophet, he was in fact mentioned in the New Testament and mentioned in the New Testament from the very mouth of Jesus. He gets a special mention by Jesus. You see, out of all the prophets, the great prophets of the Old Testament, Jesus aligns himself, Jesus likens himself to this disobedient prophet not to the great and brave Elijah, not to the bold Moses, not to Isaiah and Ezekiel, but this disobedient prophet. And you. you must ask, isn't that odd? Why would God do that? You see, that's because what happened to Jonah, what he experienced was not solely for his sake. What he went through was not solely for his sake. In, in fact, not even for the sake of just the Ninevites though that was all part of God's plan. What happened to Jonah, that he was in the whale for three days and three nights, that he was vomited out onto dry land, none of that was incidental. Now that's because, you see, the experience of Jonah in escaping death served to point to someone else, to someone greater. You see, when Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, came on this earth, when he was confronted by the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they demanded from Jesus, show us a sign. Show us that you're real. Show us where your power's from. Show us a miracle. And what did Jesus say to them? Well, In Matthew 12, our first reading, Jesus said this, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, the story of Jonah served to point to the one who will in fact die and come back to life again. And so Jesus was telling the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, You guys want a sign? You want a sign that God is for real? You want a sign of God's power and God's purposes and God's love? But well, there is one sign and only one sign to you and the world and that is the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah escaped the clutches of death and so the Son of Man, the Son of God, will also escape death. And so the sign of Jonah is in fact the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. You want the sign of God's power, of God's love? Well, there's your sign, the death and resurrection of Jesus That's the sign you're seeking and the only sign you will get. Now, that understanding that actually helps us understand and make clear something that Jonah proclaimed. Remember he said, salvation comes from the Lord. Now, how do we know that salvation comes from God? How do we know that God can save us? How do we know that God has that power to do so? Well, we know by the sign of Jonah. By the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is how anyone can be saved. The death and resurrection of Jesus. And so knowing that, that that's the sign of Jonah, what does that mean for us now? Well, firstly, what it means is this. When we are asked by our friends, by our family, how do you actually know that God is for real? You get that question? How do you know that God loves you? How do you know God has good purposes and plans for you? How do you know that God will accept me? What do you say when someone questions you in that way? Well, churches, different churches have gone about this in different ways. You walk across some churches and they have big signs outside and they say, come in. Miracles, signs of God, healings, come in and you'll see God's love for you. Your arthritis will be healed. Your back pain will be healed. God is working by his signs and miracles in this church I'm not sure if you've seen that. I've, I've seen some of those around. Now, of course, God can do that. God is God. He can perform miracles if He likes. God is God. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Now, just a bit over a week ago, there was a guy who lived in this suburb who called me and he was feeling rock bottom in the pits. And he wanted to chat about God. He was exploring God. And so we had a chat in Chris's office and he he asked me, why doesn't God make himself clear? Why doesn't God give me a sign to convince me that he's for real, that he does love me, that he does accept me? What do you say? You, adulterous and wicked person. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. What I did say say was this. I said, God already provided us a sign. It was the sign of Jonah. It was the death and resurrection of Jesus because when you look at that, you see God's purposes. You see God's power, you see God's mercy and you see God's love and that is where you find God's salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord? Well, it's at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so, as you heard last week, today we've got Nineveh on a world scale. You see, there were 120,000 people in Nineveh. There are 2 million in Niger, millions in around Australia, billions around the world who have not heard of the sign of Jonah. And so this is our word to the world, the hope for the world, that they would come to know the power and love of God. Now, secondly, perhaps more importantly is this. This is a word to ourselves. This is a word that we must always remind ourselves of. That we must, in a sense, preach to ourselves of this, this sign of Jonah, this gospel, this good news. Now, we'll all feel down and out at some stage in our life, and perhaps now. We'll all feel in the pits at some stage in our life, and it's perhaps now. Things just don't go according to plan, and that might be now. Relationships not going as I have planned and thought, and that might be now. I might be having some massive financial issue and that might be now. Work is not as fulfilling as I dreamed it would be and that might be now. And then we ask Him, we doubt, God, give me a sign. Let me know that you still love me. Let me know that you're still in control. Let me know that you're powerful. And what does Jesus say? A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a miraculous sign. I mean, God can give signs and do miracles and God is God. He does what he likes. But Jesus says, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. The death and resurrection of Jesus. You look to that, you see God's power, God's purposes and God's love. Now sometimes in my dark and perhaps harder moments I have a chat to Yvonne and we toy about this idea, we're only always mucking around, we're never too serious but we talk to each other and we discuss have we actually made the right decision to give up the life that we had, to spend four years at Bible college and to go into word ministry, to proclaim the gospel. Have we actually made the right decision? We toy with this idea, wouldn't life be so much different, perhaps better if we didn't decide to do this. So, we toy with this idea and I'm thinking, wouldn't ministry be so much easier if there were no people? (laughs) And then you think about that, but then who do you minister to? Well, that's why it's easier. But then what confirmation, what sign do I have from God that convinces me that we are doing what pleases him? What sign? Well, we remember this, the sign of Jonah, That the Son of God would die for me. That the Son of God who rose to life would also raise me up one day. That is the sign. And that's all I need. The death and resurrection that convinces me of God's power, God's love, God's salvation for me and for this world. And so it's this gospel, this good news that compels us, that convinces us, and should convince all of us Christians to give our life for the sake of Christ, for his kingdom, for his purposes. Because when we look to the sign of Jonah, we see there God's love, God's purposes and God's power. And one day, this is what this wonderful story of Jonah tells us. One day, my experience and your experience, if you believe this, will be just like Jonah's. You see, one day my life, will be ebbing away, just like Jonas who was sinking down. Your life will be ebbing away. Death will come upon all of us. We will all die. And then what happens? Well, if the thing I cling on to that day are these worthless idols, the ones that will never deliver, the ones that that aren't even there, if my idol is my career, if my idol is my looks, if my idol is my bank account, if my idol if is my relationship, they will never deliver. But if I from now till the day I die cling onto the sign of Jonah, the death and resurrection of Jesus, in fact, if I cling to Jesus himself, do you know what will happen? Well, just as Jonah was vomited out onto dry land from the mouth of the whale, we will most certainly be vomited out from the clutches of death and will be vomited out into the age to come, into the new heaven and new earth, into the place where we will enjoy eternity with all of God's saints, where we will be in the very presence of our Maker, our King, our Master, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Jonah. A big fish story. Well, not much about the fish at all. It's in fact a big God story because salvation comes from the Lord alone. Let's pray.